You're listening to CMM, Children Matter Most, on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. The Battle of the Bulge was initially fought 63 years ago, and although the field of battle has changed, we are still battling the bulge. As Plutarch said, it's hard matter, my fellow citizens, to argue with the belly, since it has no ears. So rather than losing an argument, many adults today are solving their obesity problems with bariatric surgery. Is this also an option for obese children? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and with me today is Dr. Michael Helmrath. Dr. Helmrath is an assistant professor of surgery and pediatrics at the Baylor College of Medicine and an attending surgeon at Texas Children's Hospital. Hi, Dr. Helmrath, and thank you for joining us at the Clinician's Roundtable. Hello, it's my pleasure. I've got to ask, how old was the youngest patient who's had bariatric surgery? At Texas Children's? Yes. Uh, 14. So there's no interventions yet surgically for younger children? One of our criteria to consider patients candidates for surgery is that they have to be mature enough to understand the changes that are going to happen, and they also have to be sexually mature, meaning Tanner stage 3 or 4, in that we wouldn't want to stunt a, a growth spurt. And so I believe the youngest we would probably do here would be a 13-year-old girl and maybe a 14, 15-year-old boy. Are there problems later on with growth and development in the teenage population? Actually, that hasn't been well studied enough to answer your question, although nothing grossly has come out of the patients that have had bariatric surgery when they've been that age. As you know, as a pediatrician, obese children tend to mature sooner than their their schoolmates. So most of our children are really above the normal maturation curve compared to others at their age. You've done your evaluation and have made the decision to recommend surgery. Is there a review board that must approve this type of surgery in a child? I think that's a great question. When we set up our program at Texas Children's, we did it akin to a liver transplant, meaning that we have a bariatric board which consists of me and Mary Brandt, which are surgeons, but also includes an ethicist, includes dietitians, GI folks, endocrine folks, anesthesiology, and hospital administration. And to become a candidate for surgery, everyone has to concur uh, that the patient is a candidate. And probably the most important evaluation comes from our psychology collaborators who look at the, not just the patient themselves, but their support group and their families and trying to deem who really has the support necessary to take in all that we were able to give them. You mentioned an ethicist. What are the issues that he or she deals with? Those are fascinating issues in that we need the patient to give us assent for having the surgery performed, whereas their parents give consent. And I believe getting assent is very important. And perceptions of the surgery and reality are often very far apart. And the way we get assent from our children from working with our ethicists has come down to having them write a letter which explains the reason why they should undergo surgery, what to expect medically, what their weight loss should expect, and what their obligations are to the following lifelong changes in diet and exercise and need to take vitamins. And it's very eye-opening to see in the patient's words what they perceive their surgery to be. And until you really answer their questions, you haven't gotten their assent. And, and that is something that we take very seriously at Texas Children. What is the operation of choice for most children undergoing bariatric surgery, and how do you decide which procedure to do? Well, it's controversial. I think most people know the most standard operation for bariatrics in the United States is the gastric bypass. 
newly introduced to the United States has been the lap band, which uh, is different. The gastric bypass is an operation where we make a small stomach, so it's a restrictive process where the stomach gets full very easily. But we also bypass some of the proximal small bowels, so it's a, also a malabsorptive procedure. The lap band is purely a restrictive process. Today, the FDA has not given approval for the band to be placed in patients under 18. And therefore, unless you have a specific IND, which only a few centers have, the band is not an option for adolescents. This is different in Europe and in Australia, where the band is more commonly used and is being done both in adolescents and adults more frequently than gastric bypass. Are the results similar between the two procedures? Um, they trend the same, but they are different. Weight loss is quicker with a gastric bypass and generally statistically greater than with the lap band. The two numbers tend to come closer together the farther out you study the patient. So around three years, the differences aren't as great as they are over the first two years. Is lifestyle different between the two procedures? I believe so. I need to state that I do a gastric bypass on my children, and so I don't have as much firsthand knowledge of the band. The band, if you read in the literature, gets adjusted based on lifestyle changes. And therefore, it is certainly different. The gastric bypass is sort of like probably getting on a roller coaster. Once you get on, you can't get off, uh, and you need to move forward. How long is the recovery time following surgery, and when can the child return to their normal activities? Immediately after surgery, our patients are up and walking and drinking liquid that night. Our average time to discharge is just a little more than three days. And when they go home, they stay on a, a liquid diet, and they stay on that diet for four to six weeks. We gently introduce softer foods as they are able to tolerate that. We ask them to exercise for at least 30 minutes a day upon discharge from home. So they really can resume activity, and most are back to school within a week to two weeks after surgery. What happens, or have you ever had a child who says after a while, I don't like this, I want to go back to the way I was? Is this surgery reversible? The surgery is reversible. However, no, I've not had a child ever tell me that. Um, they certainly, the first month or two after surgery, it is very difficult. you you basically taken away a child's best friend, which is food, which is the comfort of what happens these kids go to when they, sh they have stress. And certainly nothing is more stressful than to going through a, a surgery like a gastric bypass. But by and large, by the time they've adjusted and learned uh, how to, to change their eating habits and their lifestyle, they're very happy, and I've not yet had a patient beyond six months consider reversing, but certainly adults have. What can go wrong during and after the surgery? Are there common postoperative problems or late-onset problems? Surgical complications can be broken down to early and late, and obviously during the time of surgery, there's complications with bleeding and leakages from where we have to anastomose the bowel together to perform the gastric bypass. Those have high risk to the fact that there is a mortality associated with the surgery that can be as high as 2%, which has been well uh, documented in the literature. Following surgery, patients are always at risk for having hernias inside from adhesions or to small channels that are created by doing the gastric bypass, as well as within the incisions we use to perform the surgery. But I think most concerning to a lot of us treating adolescents is nutritional deficiencies that happen due to the gastric bypass. And certainly we have seen some of our patients develop nutritional deficiencies due to not taking their vitamins as prescribed. Everything in medicine today seems to have a tag, the cost-benefit ratio. Is bariatric surgery cost-effective, and is it covered by insurance 
or other programs such as Medicaid? So we're fortunate in the state of Texas to have a very uh, approachable Medicaid system. And I would say, by and large, most of our patients who've had the surgery have been supported by the state Medicaid system. The cost for us to perform these surgeries is very similar to the cost that they would spend to do one knee replacement. It's around $40,000. Ideally, we'd like to show the long-term cost-benefit in decreasing utilization of resources after the surgery. And that's a study that we are really planning on doing and hasn't been done But for the 17 patients we have done, uh, to date, it's very obvious that there is a cost-benefit to these patients, both medically and due to the fact that these kids all in our group have graduated from high school, gone to college, and or have jobs and are now active participants in society. In the past, I've found that insurance companies will often fail or not pay for obesity treatment because they figure it's going to be someone else's problem down the road. Do we finally recognize obesity as a disease? Well, certainly there's a growing trend, but we do fight with many insurance companies to get approval for our patients to have the surgery. And we often win that fight, but what I find more distressing is that we need to continue to interact with these patients to help them through the process for the next one to two years. And getting that reimbursed and supportive has been nearly impossible, and that as something that's required a lot of benevolence and endowment from supporters of our, uh, in our community. But ultimately, I do think that people need to recognize the importance not just of surgery, but the comprehensive management which goes along with the surgery. Should surgery only be done in a center for bariatric surgery? Again, pediatric bariatric surgery. I strongly believe it does. I don't believe the surgery is, is uniquely different in an adolescent than from an adult, and the surgery is very similar. But the post-operative and pre-operative evaluation is remarkably different. Uh, A child who's 16 going to school's life is significantly different than one who already has a family or a job and is in a very structured situation. And that if you were to give support similar to a secretary as you would a 16-year-old, you're not going to meet the 16-year-old's needs. If you had a crystal ball, what do you predict will be the treatment of obesity 10 years from now? That's a good question. And it's my hope and my desire as a scientist to find alternative therapies from surgery to put surgery out of business. To think that it will happen in 10 years is probably pushing it, but I would hope that we certainly have new ideas that are out of the box that help a lot of these patients who are obese avoid uh, developing comorbidities. But I do believe bariatric surgery has been around for, as you said at the beginning, well over 60 years, and that it's been demonstrated to be durable and cost-effective. And I do believe there will always be some role of a surgical intervention uh, in the management of a lot of these very obese patients. I'm ready to have surgery. How do you do a gastric bypass? The way we do it is laparoscopically with TV cameras, but traditionally it was done through an open incision. The operation starts by dividing the stomach and creating a small pouch which can only hold one to two ounces of fluid. Uh, That's divided away from the remaining part of the stomach. At that point, we then go down distally and we divide the small bowel beyond the ligament artrites, which is the marker of the beginning part of the jejunum. And that usually is about 60 centimeters to 80 centimeters uh, downstream. Once we divide the bowel, the bowel that's distal is brought up, and that part is going to be anastomose to the small portion of the stomach that we made the pouch. We then connect the proximal part of the stomach that we divided distally another 70 to 80 centimeters downstream, and that allows the bowel to uh, 
to drain internally. So basically what you've developed in this situation is a small pouch of 30 to 60 cc's or 1 to 2 ounces that then goes into a loop of bowel, which is jejunum, that connects to the distal common bowel. The normal secretions that occur in the stomach and the liver and the pancreas will drain into a loop of bowel, which will now never see food again, and it will join the rest of the food approximately 60 to 80 centimeters downstream. Does that lead to any problems if there's no food to buffer the acids? There is an incidence of some ulcers that have occurred, which can be problematic. And I think more importantly is that the first part of the intestinal, the duodenum, is where we absorb things like iron and our uh, vitamins. And that is the big reason why these patients remain on supplementation for the rest of their life. I want to thank Dr. Michael Helmrath, who has been our guest, and we have been discussing the surgical treatment of obesity in children. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and you've been listening to CMM, Children Matter Most, at the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. I wish you a good day and good health.